everybody. This is Mike Paterno, and I want to welcome you to Mostly Unseen with Jeff Boucher. I want to thank you for joining us. We're happy to have you with us today. Jeff is the pastor of Mill Pond Church. I want to let you know that any of these segments from our podcast will be accessible through our website at millpondchurchny.com. We're in our series, The Invisible Hand, and uh, we're continuing with Chapter 3 of Daniel. It's an amazing book, and if you have any difficulty understanding this book, Pastor Jeff is going to help you navigate it. This book is loaded with Messianic prophecies, and we're going to continue that tonight. With me, as always, is our host, Pastor Jeff Fichet. Welcome, Jeff. Mike, good to be here, and uh, very excited again about our series. I, you know, I think I told you one of these last times uh, that the book of Daniel is one of my favorite books in the mm. Old Testament. It was one that meant a lot to me when I first, you know, became a believer in Christ. And so, so I, I love it. To go back through it, um, I haven't been through it in the way we're doing it in a lot of years, um, even though I've read back through it. Um, you know, every time I do something like this or do a sermon series or whatever, I, I really do a deep dive. And so it's been really, really fun doing it. So, Definitely. yeah, so I want to jump in. But before I do, uh, I think what would be really good is for us to read um, the chapter. And these chapters are meant to be read as whole chapters because it's it's a whole thought as we go down lots of constituent parts but it's a whole big picture so sometimes when you stand back read it and hear the sweeping you know event then we can touch base on some of the verses going through i think that's the way we want to approach it tonight, awesome. you know so all right why don't you take us away and read uh daniel three all right king nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and six cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of, the, of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty, your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, 
we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was the hair on their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defiled the king's command, and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Awesome. Amen. Great reading. And uh, <clears throat> it's interesting because I think a lot of people think, and I've said this too, and there is a certain truth to it, being said this way, is that um, when you go through crisis, it shapes who you are and it builds your character. But I think that's not exactly right. I think it does shape who you are, but I think what crisis does more often than not is not build character, but reveals character. And we often forget when we're reading about these stories you're, you're on the edge of your seat. And the writer, you know, Daniel in particular throughout Scripture, uh, of the writers in Scripture, tends to, you know, like set it up with like tremendous tension. And you're wondering what's coming next, what's coming next, what's coming next. And he does that. And But I think of those moments of crisis throughout the Bible that actually reveal character, not necessarily form it or create it. So... Like I think of Job. Mm. Job underwent extreme adversity in a very short time. He lost his family. They were all killed. <clears throat> he lost his livestock. They were, you know, raiding hordes came in and, and stole things and killed some and did all kinds of, of stuff. House collapsed on his children. Um, you know, I mean, it was like, it's like you, you couldn't make this up, right? This is like crazy. And so we saw what Job did. What did he do? He said, you know, he was... And God ultimately allowed his health to be taken away. Mm -hmm. But I remember, and this is a good podcast uh, 
kind of advertisement, yeah. little yeah. advertisement, because Job sees God, not literally, but he sees that all that he has, God gave him. The health of his children, God gave him. The marriage he had, God gave him. The friends that he had, God gave him. The animals, the you know, the physical health, all of these things, God gave him. People say that a lot of times. When adversity hits, though, that's not what they're saying. Not everyone, anyway. So when we think of Job, we think, oh my gosh, what's the guy going to do when you're reading this, reading this, and then his friends turn on him, and then his wife says, curse God and die. You know, just forget it. You've done something wrong. So he was taking it from every direction. And his one comment shares clearly who Job was. And when his, you know, wife says, curse God and die, he says, you know, you know what he says before I say it? He says, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. And then the other one I always think of, yet yet though he slay me, shall I praise him? Yes. So yes. those two are the ones. And the first one is like proverbial. People know that and they don't even know it's from Job. Yes, exactly. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job saw and he said, shall I take the good that comes from God, not the bad? And what Job understood is that when bad comes into our lives, does it mean God doesn't love us? No. No. In fact, we have a little bit of an insight into Job because God allowed Satan to do it. Do we have all the reasons for why? No. But what we do get a picture of is Satan had to ask permission. And why would God give it? Variety of reasons. One of the reasons, though, would be so Job can see what Job really believes. Was God surprised that Job got to the point after all these crises hit and all the difficulty he faced where he said the Lord gives and the Lord takes away? Was God surprised? No, no. not at all. If, if you could surprise God, it would scare me. Life would scare me, right? But we can't surprise God. In fact, when this was going on, Job had a great understanding, a deep abiding, abiding faith that understood, you know, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. Why? Because he loves me and he goes, and these things that are going on have a much greater meaning in the scheme of God's plan mm. than in my little comfort zone to be happy and, and joyous. And uh, sometimes we're going to face the difficult days. So that's what he understood. And again, I just... I think that to set up the understanding of this is important. But yet other people too, like you, you think of Martin Luther when he was being challenged and they wanted him to, you know, recant on all of his writings. And he was simply writing as an insider of the church who had become a priest and said, this is what I've discovered. This is what we're doing wrong. Hey, let's clean this up. Let's, you know, and he puts 95 statements together that get nailed onto the door of the Wittenberg uh, church in Germany, and people think, well, why would he nail that to a church door? Because the church door was the pu public bulletin board, and it was to let everybody know, hey, let's discuss this, let's debate this, let's have an open, you know, really good frank discussion about what we're reading, what I'm reading in scripture, what the church is saying, you know, and so forth. But when he was told to recant, and he knew that he would die, and he said, if you don't recant, you'll die on the morrow, meaning tomorrow. 
And that usually meant burning at the stake. Mm. So he said, I need more time. They said, great, you have till tomorrow morning. And they put him in the tower. You know, they locked him up. He prayed, who knows, maybe part of the night, half the night, the whole night, we don't know. Um, somebody might know, I don't know. Um, and when he comes out and stands again, he gives about a 15-minute speech. And then just simply says, here I stand, I can do no other. He was compelled by his conviction to say, to look death in the face and say, all these things I've written, I believe in, with a deep conviction, because I believe they've come from God. And if they've come from God, then I cannot deny them. And if that's the case, then do what you will. They put him back in the tower again to, to prepare his execution for the next morning. And during that time, I think it was uh, Prince Frederick, who was a local baron where Martin Luther was from, who had an army standing by in the woods. Uh, not, Martin Luther didn't know about it. Nobody did. And uh, he knew something like this might happen. So he rescued him in the middle of the night, took him back, and he stayed in his castle for two years. But we saw something about Martin Luther. That this is a man who was not whimsical. He was not, you know, just out there sharing the good news when it was easy to share. But when it came down to, do you really believe this? Because if you do, we want you to deny it. And if you don't, it's going to cost you your life. I think I might have taken a week. So can I get a week to pray? You know what I mean? I don't know. You know, but Martin Luther, what he needed. Give me, give me a, give me time. And he gave him that, that night. And uh, so we found out what Martin Luther was made of. And Martin Luther went on to change, mm, you know, the yeah. world in many ways. So we have others. Abraham walking his son to Mount Moriah, mm -hmm. right? We have um, Rosa Parks and getting on a bus during the civil rights times in the 1960s, you know, and Martin Luther King in this case, mm -hmm. right? And she was not allowed. She went on that bus. She sat down. They told her to get up because, you know, uh, she was black. There were white people coming on. She held her conviction and said, no, not going to do that. And she knew there could be a hefty price. Beating, lynching, getting killed, those things were possible, right? And I don't want to paint society in a broad stroke. Not every white person is that way. And not every black person is like Rosa Parks. And, you know, all people are made in the image of God. So we understand that. When there's a problem, you correct it, right? <clears throat> but in that, we see that that's, that's a, a big issue. So, you know, as far as, you know, what character we have, and we could name many people. So mm -hmm. what's going on here? Summary of chapter two in, in brief, because it's going to play a role here. In chapter two, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Nobody can interpret it. Um, Daniel's brought in. He's uh, one of the Jewish exiles who was brought captive to Babylon, was educated in Babylon, and became part of the official council to the king. So he brings him in. A command had gone out to execute all the wise men if they couldn't tell the king his dream and interpret the dream. Mm -hmm. So Daniel hears about it, comes in, whatever, and asks the king for a little bit of time. Then he prayed to God. God gave him the the dream itself, and he gave him the interpretation. And uh, Daniel goes to tell the king, and the king right away says, can you tell me not only the interpretation, but the dream as well? 
And he says, I can. And he says, if you can, you're going to be rewarded with gold and silver. You'll be paraded around with the king's robe, the colors. And, well, and Daniel said, keep your rewards for yourself. And that wasn't just him being, you know, humble. It was that, but it wasn't just that. What that was is, I can't take your reward because I didn't come up with this. I'm not smarter than everybody in the kingdom, that, you know, of, of Babylon. He said, but the God I serve, the God of heaven, is able to reveal mysteries. So he gets the credit, right? So they rewarded Daniel mm -hmm. anyway, and we know what happens there. All right. So at the end of that, the rock is, you know, there's this vision. And the vision was the head of gold. Uh, if you imagine in your mind's eye a body, you have your shoulders that go down into your arms and across your chest in silver, then your abdomen uh, down into the hip area of bronze. Then you get the lower hips and legs, the upper legs into the um, iron, iron yeah. right? And the clay, yeah. Then the iron mixed with clay in the in the lower legs and feet. And then it says that a rock that was cut out without human hands smashes the image on the you know on the feet and the whole thing collapses. But then we get the interpretation. The interpretation was four kingdoms in the world, five actually. Think about it. Um head of gold, and he says, You Nebuchadnezzar are the head of gold. God has given you authority, God has done this for you. It's, so we see God's hand, invisible hand, working, working, working. Then you, you, he says, but after you, a lesser kingdom, one inferior to yours, will take over. And, you know, then a third kingdom, and then a fourth kingdom, that kingdom will be unlike the others. It'll be brutal, you know, kind of thing. And then they're, they're, the feet of, of clay and iron show that when you mix iron and clay, there's weakness. So there's weakness throughout. And there's a reason for that that I can't go into tonight time-wise. But the rock that is cut out without hands. Well, who's, who's the rock referred to throughout Scripture? Old Testament and... God. You know, yeah, God. And in the New Testament, very specifically, Jesus. So it says the rock cut out without human hands, meaning not human origin. Divine. Crushes the image on the feet, and all the kingdoms of the world topple. You will okay then this chapter you know kind of picks up after this um and you know what happens here is that the king is going to demand worship and what does he do what does he set up he makes uh he makes a you know it's funny because he makes a statue of gold which in the dream the head was gold which was only him and it seemed like he forgot about the Medo-Persians, who was the the chest, the uh, the Greeks, who was the pelvis, the you know the Romans. He just this is like about sixteen years later that he starts to build this something like that, I believe. Yeah. So he it's like almost like he just kind of took what was important to him out of that dream, and he made he made an idol of himself. Yeah, and so, and when you think of the gold, he, the head of gold was supposed to be him. That's what Daniel said. He makes the whole thing gold. Yeah. So in one way, he's trying to humanly say, no, it doesn't have to be this way. I know what Daniel said, and it was incredible because the king would have been floored that Daniel got his dream right. But then you can imagine as time passed, right, some years since the dream, maybe, Kinezer, maybe Nebuchadnezzar is feeling his kingdom starting, starting to weaken. And so perhaps this is a litmus test. Mm. Are you loyal to me? What's coming up? Uh, perhaps the earlier dream is haunting him. 
Perhaps Satan is whispering in his ear, you are that head of gold. Make the world know it. King Nebuchadnezzar sets up a statue, like you, you had mentioned, to be worshipped. And he makes the whole image, as you said, gold. Perhaps in defiance of the dream. Right? Yeah. We don't know. Could have been. Right, yeah. Because he knew the dream, and he's, he, he, this is a little bit defiant. He should be humbled by the interpretation of the rock, right, being cut out without hands and crushing it. But instead, he may be trying to change by human means divine outcomes. Mm -hmm. That's pretty significant. By human cunning and scheming, if you will, he's trying to thwart any kingdom with designs on toppling his own kingdom. So, and that's really, I, I think, to the heart of it. So he erects this image. It's 90 feet high by 9 feet you know, wide. He does it outside of that wide open plain so many people could gather. And, you know, it's a show of his power and strength. That's what he's doing. He invites all the heads of state, right? The sajabs, prefects, governors, uh, advisors, treasurers, judges, magicians, all these people, and our magistrates. These are his leaders, and they must be loyal. So there's going to be a, a test here. So Nebuchadnezzar demands worship of this image. Now, people go, oh, but he knew Daniel. Yeah, he didn't consort with Daniel. He wasn't hanging out with Daniel. And he was one of the people groups, and everybody was mostly polytheistic, and the Jews would have been an anomaly that way. And he wouldn't have thought about Daniel, right, about doing this, or his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, right, and Abednego. Right, right. So visualize the setting. A herald cries out, right? The music starts, and the masses bow down. And we don't know how many people. Say it was thousands, right? A couple of thousand, you know. Maybe it was hundreds, but it was somewhere in there. So you, you see this, you think this. So Nebuchadnezzar does all this, and all of a sudden the music starts, and only three men are standing, conspicuously standing, right? And everybody could see them. Three immovable objects. So the three men defiantly stand. Why? Many people today that call themselves Christians would have bowed to this image. And they would have said something like, you know what? I'm only bowing on the outside. On the inside, I believe in God. Right? So externally, I'm, I'm just kind of going with the program. Um, but I'm resisting on the inside where real faith resides. So God knows I love him. That's what they would say. Maybe. God has not delivered us, although we've been very faithful, they might be thinking. You know, so you know what? We could do this as maybe what God wants us to do because he didn't deliver us. Well, at that point, he hadn't yet. And, you know, maybe it was, I could do far more for people alive than I could dead. That's their thinking. Mm. So, so maybe I can just, you know, skate on this. And again, God knows what I believe. There's only three of us. What impact could we make on a crowd so big? They're just going to get rid of us, right? So these are the kinds of thoughts that would be potentially going through their, their minds. So the reason, what was the reason for the defiance to the command? What, what, what do you think? They Listen, they knew the law of Moses. Which said? Which said, worship the God and your God only, and worship no graven images. Okay, so the Ten Commandments, 
you know, you shall worship the Lord your God, right? And him alone, alone only. And you shall not set up any graven image, which we would call idols, idolatry, right? That's what you're doing. You're, you set up idols. So they knew this. Why were the, the Israelites in Babylon in the first place? Because they were disobedient. So God handed them over. Well, they didn't follow any of the laws. They but were breaking everything. Oh, they were they were worshiping idols inside their own their own temple. And exactly. And I would often say to people, you cannot break commandments two through two through ten unless you first break commandment mm -hmm. one. And commandment one is, I'm the Lord your God. There is no God but me. Yes, you can only worship Him. In order for you to break any law, you have to break that command. Mm. Because when you're sinning, you're not worshiping you're, you're, God. Right. So you you you've drifted. You you come come away. And I'm talking about willful sin, not stumbling into sin. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's and I think that's a, an important distinction. So you know, I think you brought up something actually really interesting too. You said you know, because um, you think people sometimes think like, well. You know, I'm I'm not bowing on the inside. I'm I'm only bowing on the outside because, or or then you said something. I'm I'm worth the, a person might think I'm worth more alive than I am dead. And the funny thing is, is it reminds me of something that happened in the book of Esther, um, when Mordecai was talking to Esther, who had to approach uh, Artaxerxes about um, about saving all the people, all the Jewish people, because of. Uh, the plan Haman had set against him. And and he said, whether or not you go through with this, God will deliver his people. But how do you know you weren't put here for such a time as this? And, you know, it's people get, get caught up in the, well, I'm worth more alive than dead. But you know what? If you're if you're you're for God to use, right? Very famous prayer in most Christian circles. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. What does that mean? Right. It means use me as you would have me used, not what I think I should play. Exactly. You know, we, we make God after our own image, not. And that's reverse, a very right? dangerous road to go down. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think, and I think that's you know well said, all of that. So idolatry specifically was the reason that the Jews were judged in the first place and ended up being taken captive to Babylon because because of that. One day, God will judge all idolatry and all human government because ultimately, we're supposed to govern under God's governance, under his leadership, under his laws, under his word. And we don't do that. So God will judge. Obedience to God is imperative we find it throughout the scriptures right and i was going to read some maybe we'll come back to it because we're just um i, I want to hit some other things mm -hmm. i think that are important um but there are so far three ways in daniel that the faithful jews wanted to get involved in pagan society while remaining true to their faith can find themselves facing problems so danger of assimilation what did they do when they first got there in chapter one the king changed their names from names that had to do with their own god the god of israel mm. to, to names that had to do with the babylonian gods they taught them their language so they could only speak and deal with them in their language they they did a whole number of things they tried to get them to eat and drink from the king's table 
which they couldn't do because of the dietary laws that God put in place. And so assimilation was dangerous. And Daniel recognizes that the danger inherent in the temptation to assimilate to the pagan way of life um, because of the rewards offered, right? That's what he's seeing. It arises from his own conscience. And the pagan officials were well disposed toward him. And uh, so this type of, of difficulty or uh, temptation, the, you know, to assimilate arises, you know, from the internal side. Um, it's a personal struggle to remain true, if you will, to one's convictions and commitments, when it would be much easier to go along with the crowd. I think of Nazi Germany in the 1930s, and everybody is quick to say, but the Nazis were not the German people. I believe that that's absolutely true. Then they said the German people didn't know what was going on. That is not true from everything I've read mm. in my history. Now, they may have not, not they may not have known to the degree of how bad, but there were Jews being taken from their their towns and cities, being hauled out. Many of the German people were hiding Jews. But why? Because they didn't know. No, they knew. Yeah. yeah. And. <laughs> They were complicit. Why? They were scared. They feared more for their own lives. We understand that. That's a natural fear. But what it means is, is that they they hadn't been um, practicing their faith and thinking, pondering on Scripture, meditating on the truths. Is God greater than us? Yes, He is. Could God save us? Yes, He could. So you look at that, and what did the German people do? By and large, not everybody. They blended in. They became you know, complicit, complicit in, in many ways. They were assimilated into a new way of life. And that's what Daniel is fighting. Second way is caught in the crossfire. Right in chapter 2, it has nothing to do with their faith, but rather because they're counted among the sages of Babylon they're all getting rounded up. So it was a sudden and steady faith that served them really well and gave them an opportunity to be a witness for the superiority of their God. Now, when you think of that, here's, they saw this in, in the way that you said, I'm not here for my comfort, my leisure, my anything. I'm here to serve God. God has called me to be a witness. And in this particular case, it meant putting your life on the line, not bowing down, not following. And a lot of, a lot of us say things like this. Oh, you know, God understands I don't go to church all the time. He knows I love him. No, he doesn't have to know it or not know it. If you love him, you spend time with God's people. You take that day out of the week and honor it. What's more important on that day that you have going than what God has done for us? Well, you know, there's lots of things we would say. And, you know, when you start thinking about it, it's like, wow. You know what I mean? And then the third one was a call for loyalty to the state. Which, to make sure everybody's loyal to you as the king. So the king called for the worship to an image, which is not activated, activated by any anti-Jewish motive, right? In this case, the three men find themselves um, with malicious opponents who kind of set it up that way. But it wasn't the king's doing, um, you know, or that's what happens in, in Daniel 6. But with these guys, they're just caught in a crossfire. 
right? They're there. Um, so, yeah, so I think those are, you know, three interesting things, right? So chapter three, right, the king calls for the worship. They stand there and they say no. Now, the accusation of the king and the king's response, that's chapter, uh, verses 8 through 15. Mm -hmm. um, so the jealousy and the xenophobia of the Chaldeans against these four men is incredible. They don't like that these exiles, foreigners, outsiders, have been promoted to where they've been promoted, so they're very happy to get rid of them. Um, there's a refusal to worship the image, and it's not going to be tolerated because it subverts the authority of the state. That's the argument they're going to use. And the state has certain ends in view um, and wants a certain type of citizen to fulfill them. So it issues orders um, by which it shall basically procure the, the best means to serve its ends. That's what a, a fascist and, you know... Um, Marxist state would do. So Nebuchadnezzar is in a rage. Like, why do you think that was? Because if people defile him, then it shows defile. that there's there's holes in his armor. Yeah. Yeah. If he yeah, allows sorry. I mean, yeah. defy. <laughs> if he allows them to defy him, especially in such a public forum, there's no way he's got to make a stand and he's got to make it huge now god has orchestrated all this mm. right because it's god who's in charge not the king not shadrach meshach and abednego so a parallel for us right religion in america today think of this religion is acceptable as long as it is kept as a private matter a private belief it does not leave people to challenge the assumptions and values of their society or what society is doing. So, hey, we don't care what you believe. Keep it to yourself. That's, that's the mantra, right? Now, these young men refuse, and instead they defend, you know, what God has called them to do. They don't defend their own behavior. They just simply say, we serve God. This is not something we can do in service to our God. So, it's, there's a seeming contradiction in their response where it's not be, and it's not because they're uncertain but read um of course again mike that one verse um let me see 16 or might, um no i think it's right seven, it might be 16 let me just 17 could be um yes 17 okay read 16 and 17 together okay shadrach meshach and abednego reply to to him king nebuchadnezzar we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from it, your majesty, from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the Im image of gold you have set up. So when people read this, they see right away, you know, we don't have even a need to answer you in this matter, right, to defend ourselves. It says, you know, from the furnace, right? He says, God, the God whom we serve is able to deliver us from that furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, okay? But even if he does not, oh, is that a wishy-washy fate? No. He can, no. he will, but even if he doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, and they're not saying this to be contrite or, you know, boastful for themselves, but... 
really they're they have faith in god they believe in god and they know no matter what he has them. they actually probably said it in humility what does that mean answer. no matter what because he said they he you know he he can he will and if he does not well they realize they realize what paul talks about in a lot of the new testament is epistles where you know what god is really in control and there's more to there's more to life than just this body that's around me so and i agree with you so here we have a situation where they said god can they had total faith in that god will deliver us but then they said but even if he doesn't because they knew and nebuchadnezzar's going to take that and everybody's going to take that you know that if god doesn't meaning if they get thrown in the fire they're dead mm. and they were ready to die but then they said, but he will deliver us from your hand, O king. In other words, we're in a win-win. You kill us, we're with our God. You don't kill us, we stay here and witness for our God. That's it. So they saw the situation as win-win. Now, I think it's pretty, you know, interesting um, when we look at, you know, so much that happens in, you know, nations and there's another whole story I would tell you, but time-wise doesn't allow it, uh, about Mayor Koch when he was in office and he had a radio program. But but at any rate, um, when we look at what's going on in the West, I think it's a great picture in Daniel 3 because these three men know what their predecessors did. Not under the, the you know, standing, you know, being ready to be thrown into a fire, or at the end of a, a bow and arrow or a spear or a gun. Not that. They drifted off and went to follow the idols. Now these guys look at this. They see this massive idol. They see that they're in captivity because of it. We're not doing it. Nope. Been there, done that. Not doing it again. And you got to admire them for that. Now, it may not have been them, and I don't think it was. They were young that, that would have done this, right? And been judged for it, and that's why they're there. I think... Uh, you know, they were probably children growing up and, you know, probably understood the laws of their God because we know that from just reading about Daniel mm. and seeing what he, he sees. So today, though, you know, in archers, we have alternative lifestyles today. Oh, yeah, try it, you know, before you buy it. We have people, there's crises going across the world right now. I just read an article um, that the Archbishop of Canterbury, who's the head of the Anglican Church, um, has basically abdicated faith and he has said that you know we're going to go ahead and allow and not just allow you're not allowing anything if society allows it society can do what they want but with inside the church and that's what i'm talking in the church they're going to allow same-sex marriages but more than allow they're going to put their blessing on it that's a clear deviation of scripture mm. but it gets worse than that that's that's one thing but it's if people don't believe in the literal resurrection, that's okay. They can still have fellowship and have communion with the church. And there's a whole bunch of other things he said. So there's a conference recently in Kigali in Africa, and where it was a conference of bishops, they all got together and they took a vote. And basically 85% of all the bishops said, we do not recognize the leadership of the archbishop. And he is unfit for the position and has abdicated his authority. That is an unbelievable stance. I, I applaud them mm. because it's a big stand. Now it's going to be interesting to see what happens. 
right? Because you could still be the archbishop, but you might be over, you know, 15% of the church. And actually, I do think I remember reading that also. Yeah, it was recent. Yeah. 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 Within so, the last couple of months. Yes, so. for sure. Less than that. Um, so we see that. Now, each time something changes, we didn't just start with like sex changes on children and alternative things, right? We didn't start that way. <clears throat> and, you know, abortion came in in the 60s, right? And was allowed. And we know why, you know, danger to the mother, you know, they want to do that. Or if someone was raped, okay, that was, but then they wanted to make sure, you know, that women could have access. So it's the first trimester they could do it. Then I went to the second trimester they could do it. Then I went to the third. Right now, you can kill a baby as long as it's in utero, right? But even if it's down the birth canal, because they take the baby out just ahead so they can say the baby's still in the mother and they kill it. That's what they're doing. And that's legal now in the United States of America in certain places. So there are some states putting up big fights. So Texas just passed a law that every public school has to have the Ten Commandments put up, placed, and, and spoken. And so that's a Good huge, yeah. yeah, it's huge. And so you see these kinds of things. These are the battles of, why? People are trying to make a stand like these three men did, like Daniel does, you know, in chapter six, and they're, and they're fighting the onslaught. You know, we removed the Ten Commandments from schools. They were always in schools. Right. They were always being taught about. Texas puts them back, right? There's a celebration of Satanism in our school. And there is the Satan clause, right? And, you know, it's just in society in general. There's a big satanic conference happening in in Boston uh, soon. I'm coming probably this summer or whatever. Anyway, you know, the more we've tried to be trendy and with it, the less influence for God we've had. And we have a watered-down message. Why? So we're less offensive. It's, it's not whether we're offensive or not. Being loyal to God says, preach his message. It's, I didn't come up with that message, but I'm going to share it. And you don't have to agree with it. You can keep doing what you, what you want to do. But why is it that the Christian faith gets attacked? And say, the Muslim faith you don't see getting attacked. Do we think the Muslim faith, for instance, um, looks, you know, down upon alternate lifestyles with blessing and can't wait to get them into the mosque? Oh, no. Not a chance. Oh, no. Not a chance. And when what they do... They in, kill them outright. They, they do. In foreign countries, they kill them right? outright. And, and as Christians, we'd be against that. Even though we don't agree with that lifestyle, you don't kill people for that. You love them into the kingdom. You reach them for right. Christ. That's so what we true. do. So true. You know? So these are the things that are, are tough. So only when we think about it, and just think about our church say people church hop. What do I mean with that? Hey, who's got the best coffee? Right? Let's who's you know, who's got the shortest service? Um, who is the best band? Yeah. What's going that's how we judge church say. People that do that, they're they're lost. They don't get why they're supposed to be in church. They don't understand what Jesus did. Would Jesus ever have done that? You know, of course not. Right? Or we attend church when it's convenient, if I don't have something more important. Um, you know, and I'm not saying, like, there are police officers that have to work, and doctors that have to work. You know, is, is that fine? Of course that's fine. You know, and that's why a lot of our churches will have services in the morning, on Sunday, let's say services at night. We have midweek services. So 
you know, you get where you can. Paul even says that one man considers one day to be holy, another man considers an, another day. Are all so, days to be the same? Uh, right, all days to be the same. If you're finding your day, if you're, you're right, you're a police officer or you're a healthcare worker, or, and you're working on, you know, during a Sunday service, there's no one says that you can't do midweek and you can't do. The point is who you love, that's who you'll follow, right? So, and you know, until only when God's people come to that conclusion and begin to say, when sin faces us, not now, not ever. Right? That's what Dan, mm. these three guys said. You know what? And the king said, if, if you bow down, good. But if not, I'll pump this, you know. So when that music plays, you know, you already defied it once. I'm going to let you do it again. If you bow down, all well and good. If not, I'm pumping the furnace up seven times with it. So that's more of a, a rage thing and a way to say to people, you, you think you can do that? You just up the ante? I'm up it seven times. So you, that's like, uh-oh, there's a power encounter, mm -hmm. right? They say, well, we have no need to defend ourselves. Our God can, our God will deliver us. But even if it does not, meaning if we die in this furnace, we're still with God. Mm -hmm. And that's an important thing. We need to be getting uh, to that point where we say that. Now, this is truly what it means to pick up your cross daily and follow Jesus. That's what Jesus quoted to us, right? So when we obey God, God reveals himself. Mm. That's the bottom line. Now, how can we thrive? Commitment to God is number one. What is, take a verse. What, what tells us that commitment to God is number one? Uh, Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be given to you. Great verse. How about another one? Find it in the Old and New Testament. How about love? Lord your God. Oh, yes. With all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And yes. And all your mind. And then, yeah. Right? Yeah. Everything you are. If you love God with all your, your heart, soul, strength, and mind, you're loving with every part of your being. What does that look like? Obedience. Following God. And people say, oh, why would God want obedience? And, you know, is he on an ego trip? Is, you know, and they're, they're non thinkers. If you thought even for two minutes on this, if God truly created, who do you owe your well-being to, your life, being alive? Exactly. God. And if you're on a beautiful planet, who do you owe that to? Did you do that? <laughs> no. No, I did not. Right. And there's food that grows and swims and roams. You do all that? No. You know, you know what? It rains, too, so your crops can grow. Mm. You come up with that? No. No. Sounds like a conversation with Job, doesn't it? Yeah. So that's what God said, who are you? The question, Did you, know, you catch Leviathan on a hook? Right. <laughs> you know? does, the, does the clay say to the potter, you know, mm -hmm. you didn't make a good potter, you didn't make the handles right? No. You know, the clay doesn't do that. So that's where we have to, to get back to is an understanding of who God truly is and who we are and what that looks like. So commitment to God is number one, studying God's word. Number two, Bible's replete with examples of that. Life of prayer and meditation. Why? Because that's how we appropriate God's love and God's will and God's wisdom and God's knowledge to our lives. That's how that happens. And fellowship with other believers. Why? Because the world is beating you down with their value system each and every day through, you know, texts that you're getting, you know, through all these different things coming up on social media, through television commercials, through billboard signs, through, you know, now... You take an hour out on Sunday, you take an hour out, say, during the week on Bible study, maybe you're taking 
a half hour every morning for yourself to focus on God's Word. God's Word is a cleaning engine. It's a cleanser. And it just cleans you. And then it's like it's like you go out, and if you don't take a shower on a second day, a lot of people don't do that. They're okay. You know, if you didn't go run a marathon or something. And the next day you go to work, on the third day, you're thinking, yeah, I need a shower, right? You know, fourth day, people around you are saying, I think we need a shower, you know? And then so, because why? It's an accumulation of dirt and grime that builds up from the atmosphere, little pollutants that you can't see with the eye, you know, a little bit of sweat here and there. And all of a sudden, it's, it's not good anymore, right? So if you just let everything go from week to week and only and, and give your life one hour to God, whether that's a church service or whatever, that is not enough for the onslaught of filth that hits you and attaches to you. Seven days without God makes it one week. That's exactly right. Good one. W-E-A-K. W-E-A-K. Yes, W-E-A-K. I get it. And there's, there's another saying, you know, you're out there in the world and, uh, you know, Scripture tells us, don't forsake uh, the, the gathering of the church. And, um, you know, the whole thing with COVID is divide and conquer, isolate, which is very dangerous. But, you know, you're out there in the world and people say, well, the world is a tough place. Listen, familiarity breeds contempt is another old saying. So if you're out in the world, you're going to have contempt like the world does. Don't be like the world. Don't do it. Absolutely not. You know, it's funny. We're talking about, I was reminded, um, and I kept the clip and I, I looked at it recently, but. Um, it was from Newsweek magazine in November of 1990. And it was the letter was from a, a Marine corporal, uh, Preston Coffer. And it was titled Letters in the Sand. And he quotes talking about, you know, being away on foreign soil, um, you know, taking his stand, right? When, you know, back then, the the Saudi buildup and the Iraq buildup. You were going after Iraq, um, you know, for the Kuwait issues. And when this was going on, you know, people were parents were starting to worry. Oh no, my kids are being brought over. What are the armed forces themselves thinking? And this is what he addresses. And he says, I love his. He says, Hey, we're not Boy Scouts. You know, the Marine says we're not Boy Scouts. He said we all joined knowing full well what would be expected of us in times such as these, right? And so all he says is what? You remember what's the Marine Corps? Semper Fi. Semper Fi. He has that. Semper Always Fi. Always faithful. Always faithful. He said, we'll be there when the times are tough. We'll be there. You know, remember that old saying, you know, about the you know, the enemy with the uh, coming across the, you know, the Marines and, Trying to remember how it goes exactly, but uh, um, one of the guys, I guess, when you're when you're looking at this, um, give me a second. It's gonna come to me. I just had it and I just lost it. Um, if I knew the story, I would probably jump in on it too, because it, it'll it'll come back to me in a minute. Let's you know. So, and we're pretty much at the end of this, but so thoughts that you have, you know, um, it, it was funny. Well, that marine though. Think of why he was willing to do that. He, it was for the cause of freedom. Mm. He made it clear in the article. It was the cause of freedom. We are free today because of those that went before us and the ones that went before them and the ones that went before them all the way back to our founders. People that defend higher ideals than themselves. There's no greater thing to defend 
than everlasting life. If you want to live with God forever, right? And there's only two choices. You're with him or you're without mm -hmm. him. You stand for him or you are against him. And that's what Jesus said. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when we look, we're looking to see souls saved for eternity. Um, our armed forces, God bless them, are out there to save people and our country uh, from losing its freedoms and to liberate those who are under tyranny, right? And uh, and I think that's really, really important. So with that, you know, that really brings us to the end of, end of Daniel 3, where we see people standing up, three men, refusing to, to bow down, faced with the, you know, their own lives being forfeit. And I don't think it was easy for them, but I don't sense there was any hesitation. Mm. And that's what I sense when I read our founding fathers. It's what I sense when I read the great reformers. It's what I, I sense when you read many of the church fathers. And so you see this throughout the generation say, wow, what faith? Yes, because they actually believe what they say they believe mm -hmm. in. Right? Mm -hmm. They actually believe it. They don't just spout it. Yeah. And I think that's important. Any last yeah. thoughts? They, they listen, to, and you're right. They all had a basic understanding and um, some of them like advanced understanding, but of, of the scripture. And really, it's it's hard to grasp it because it's not fathomable. The love of God. Right. You know, um, Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So where your heart is, you know, it's easy for people to understand the secular world. Well, do you love your children? Would you do anything? Oh, yes, yes, I would do anything for them. Well, do you know there's a God that loves you much more than that? Right. And if you love them, this love him the same way, what wouldn't you do? You would do it for your children. Wouldn't you do it for him? Exactly. So, but people, people have a hard time relating that. And that's one of the things that I, you know, I pray uh, people actually come into and realize that. And then they can, they can really open their guys up to God. And then they'll understand the word much better. Exactly. Because they'll see that they'll see the love that God has. Yeah. It's not just all, you know, he loves you. He wants to, he'll meet you wherever you are. He wants to bring you up, not leave you there. Exactly right. And uh, God will always meet us where we are. He'll always bring us along. He's always faithful. He's always with us. And if we just meditate on the attributes of God, pick five. Like I always think of God's omniscience. He's mm -hmm. always, he, he knows all things. So there's nothing that could come against you tomorrow that God didn't already know. Mm -hmm. nothing, nothing surprises God, you know. Could you imagine God, you know, all of a sudden looking down one day and say, oh, where'd that guy come from? <laughs> you know, no. Never happened. Not going to happen, right? But when you think about it, you say, do I believe that? God is there. And you say, okay, maybe I do. But maybe that doesn't get you across the finish line yet. Then you might say, well, God's, you know, omnipresent. He's everywhere. Even in the mm -hmm. darkest jungles. Even in the, you know, most graphically, you know, exploding um, battlefields. God's there. Right? Do you believe that he's there? Okay, yeah, maybe I believe that too. All right, well, God is omnipotent. Do you believe that he, he has power to stop, start, mitigate anything and everything? All right, well, look at the world. I see a lot of evil. Well, that's, that's a good answer for that. Mm. We're not going to talk to you tonight. Then you might think, okay, all right, even if I believe those three, God is immutable, meaning unchangeable. Same yesterday, today, and forever. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I can, I can kind of buy that. And then I say, do you believe that God is omnibenevolent? Meaning, all loving. He loves. 
Now, if I buy that and say he loves me more than any human could under all circumstances, and there's a lion's den or a, or a furnace of fire in front of me, I might start thinking God doesn't love me. But what we're, we're failing to remember is what's across that bridge, the other side of that fire, you know, the other side of the lion's den, if God doesn't intervene, is the end of our reward. Mm-hmm. It's what we've been dying for. What's that? To be in the presence of God. Exactly. And you know what God's going to say? You know, welcome, right? Well done, mm-hmm. good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest of the prepared for you forever. Amen. So that's, uh, that's our thought. So you know what? Why don't you pray us out, Marty? Oh. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for this day. We thank you for, Lord, your word just coming through. Um, Lord, I pray that those are listening and hearing. And Lord, now that they'll understand, now that they're they're hearing along with it, Lord. And um, Jesus, I pray that anybody out there listening that feels that conviction of your Holy Spirit coming to them, let them pray, Lord, you know what? I am a sinner and I realize I, I can't live without you. Come into me. Come meet me, Lord. Let me change my life. Let me give my life to you. I know if you're out there and you're listening and you're willing to do that, I guarantee you this, your life will never be the same if you follow through. Be the best thing you could imagine. And um, Jesus, we just praise you and love you. In your holy name, amen. Amen. Amen.